Welcome everyone. We are so glad that you have joined us today. And we're going to do something a little different. We're going to pause our current series, Overboard, the story of Jonah. We're going to push that till next week, so we'll pick it up next week. We're going to pause that to deal with something that has been happening in our country, in our cities, something that's affected even our local communities. We're going to talk about something so very important and timely. Today, we're going to talk about Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Now listen, I understand that's a polarizing statement. I I, I get it. But should it be? I I want you to know, as your pastor, and maybe you don't know me, um, I'm a pastor of a church I want you all to know that I wholeheartedly, 100%, agree and identify with that statement. I am grateful for that statement and what is being accomplished for good through the use of that statement. Now, I know that some of you may immediately be upset. I want to ask you, even though you might find yourself getting a little hot under the collar and I'm going to turn this off and I can't believe this, I want you to keep watching. Be courageous enough to watch all the way to the end and hear what's going to be shared. Now, some of you, though, you might be in complete agreement and and you are cheering on the inside and you're like, yeah, but I want you to know, just hold on. This statement is not just a political thing. In fact, I would go so far to say I don't really believe it is a political thing, even though a lot of people try to make it into that. This is a spiritual matter. And for those of you that hear this and go, ah, I really don't care. I'm just indifferent to it. It doesn't really affect me. Really? I I don't think that any of us can afford to remain indifferent on this. Because once again, once again, here in our country, we find ourselves wrestling with the issue of race. Once again, it's haunting us. Once again, it's plaguing us. And in many ways, it's crippling our countries, our cities, and even our local communities. So we need to have an honest, uncomfortable, but very necessary conversation. And right up front, I'm going to make some statements that just in no particular order, I just want to kind of get some things out uh, before we jump into the details of understanding better what this Black Lives Matter really is about. I want to say some things so that so that maybe we get all on the same page and maybe we're not going to be on the same page, but at least you understand where I'm coming from, whereas a church where we're coming from. I want you to know, first of all, that I don't have all the answers. Um, I just don't. I am constantly learning. I'm continue, continuing to grow as a person, as a leader, and which means I'm continuing to change. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. And I hope That's true for you, too, that you're continuing to learn and grow and change because none of us have arrived. I want to say I understand this is a difficult conversation, that there are many opinions and there have been lots of experiences and they're all a little different that we've had individually, and that's okay. I want to come right out front here and make sure this is clear. We condemn racism in all its forms. In any of its forms, however it shows up, it's not just something in the past. It is something in the present still. And it is not okay. It is not right. I condemn it as a church. We condemn it. We believe God condemns it. And that's very clear. I want to say 
also that I am and we as a church are very grateful for our first responders and for our police departments. Very grateful for the men and women who put their lives in harm's way on a regular basis to help keep others safe. I want you to remember that the actions of a few do not represent the whole. And I believe the bottom of my heart, we have some of the best men and women in uniform represented in this church and in this community, and we are grateful for you. We know your life has gotten very complicated in the past few days. We pray for you, and we are grateful for the sacrifices you make for the cause of others. At the same time, I want to make it very clear, we also condemn violence. There's no room for violence when it comes to this matter. Harming personal property, and especially doing harm to other people. That is not something that is honoring to God or honoring to each other. And again, don't let the actions of a few, the violent actions of a few, represent the whole. Because that simply is not the case. Now, this is not a political thing. Please understand, this is a spiritual thing. This is about people. People, all who have been created in the image of God himself, There are people on all sides of this issue who are just people. Moms and dads and sisters and brothers. People created in God's image, just like you, just like me. I'm really not concerned with labels and how what I'm getting ready to say in the the next few minutes is going to be labeled. Uh, It doesn't matter to me if it's considered conservative or liberal doesn't matter to me if it's considered something a Republican would say or a Democrat would say. I'm not really concerned about the far right or the far left. My concern and our concern as a church, our concern is people, and especially as followers of Jesus, our concern and focus has to be finding the heart of Jesus on this matter. And that is our goal. I understand that what I'm getting ready to say is going to be too much for some people. In fact, it may have already been too much for you. Others of you are going to think, no, man, you should have said more. This is too little. We need more. We need more. I I get that. I just want you to know that our intention, my intention, is to represent the heart of Christ. And, And to be very honest, okay, I look around at our church, the Summit Church. We have to admit coming into this conversation, that we are predominantly a white church, mostly a white church. Now, I long for the day when our church accurately represents all races, all skin colors that are represented naturally in our area. You look around, you see a very diverse area that we live in. I long for the day when I walk out on stage and I see faces of diversity represented in our seats. So, I pray for that. I long for that. But I have to admit, and we have to admit, right now we're a predominantly white church. And if you haven't noticed, I'm white. And so I have taken great care to listen to my friends of color, to leaders of color, to listen to the black community and what they are saying. Because we will see in just a moment that listening is such a very important part of understanding what's really going on. Black lives matter. This statement is not saying that black lives matter more. 
It's just that black lives matter as much as any other lives. Hearing that, I know, I know, because I've talked to some of you. You find yourself kind of bowing up a little bit and going, wait, 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 that's just an agenda. Black Lives Matter is just an agenda. I don't think you can boil it down to just an agenda. I don't think if you really look at it and you really understand what's going on that you can make that conclusion that it's just an agenda. I hear people in response to Black Lives Matter say things like, well, I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. Well, that's great. But it's not enough just to not be a racist. I heard Andy Stanley recently explain it like this, and I thought this was fantastic. Pastor there in the Atlanta area of North Point Church. Andy Stanley said, it's not enough to not be a racist. You have to be anti-racism. And he gave this example. He said, imagine yourself walking down the street and seeing a child that's being abused. And you look at that and go, well, I'm not a child abuser. It's not enough for you to just look at that and say, well, I'm not a child abuser. No, you have to address it. You have to say something about it. You have to do something about it. So just to say the words, I'm not a racist, is not enough. We have to say something about it. We have to do something about it. We have to be anti-racism. And I know, I know, when you say black lives matter, I hear it. I hear the refrain. Some of you have probably already said it to yourselves or maybe said it to the people that you're watching this with. But wait, 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 wait a minute, Pastor. All lives matter. All lives matter. Now, while that is a true statement, saying all lives matter is not enough. Not right now, because that's not where the point of pain is. The point of pain in our country is not whether or not all lives matter. The point of pain is black lives matter. And plus, you need to understand this. When you say and you counter black lives matter with the statement or the hashtag all lives matter, that's very dismissive. It's very dismissive to our black brothers and sisters. Let me explain it to you like this. Let's say you were to come up to me, and I'm a pastor now. You come up to me and say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for my little daughter named Sally because she's very sick. And if things don't change, she could die. I need you to spend, when, when, today as you go through your day, whenever you get a moment, an extra moment, Pastor, could you pray for my little daughter named Sally? And what if I looked to you and I said, no, wait a second, there are sick little girls all over the world. There are sick children everywhere right now who could die if they don't get better. Why should I single out your daughter, Sally? And I mean, shouldn't I just pray for all children? Shouldn't I pray for children all over the world? Even though you may agree that me praying for all children would be a good thing, you know what you would feel on the inside? You would feel like, as I have stiff-armed your need, as I had, if I had stiff-armed your pain, you would feel as though I had in some way dismissed the hurt and the need that you felt. Or if you came up to me and said, hey, I need you to pray for our family. My little daughter has died. And I say to you, well, people die all the time. Shouldn't we pray for all people who are dying and all families who are dying? While that would be true, we should pray for all people. You would feel like I had disrespected the need that you felt and the pain that you were dealing with. So we need to run to the place and the point of pain. And that's what the statement Black Lives Matter is about. And here's the truth. As I heard one of our staff members say, one of our young staff members say, this week, 
All lives can't matter until black lives matter. I want you to let that sink in. For those of you that are like, all lives matter. True. But all lives will not matter until black lives matter. And by the way, anybody else feel a little embarrassed that we're even still having this conversation? Anybody else kind of think it's kind of a shameful thing that we're having to clarify these things? Yeah. Do you know that Jesus was known for running to people's pain? Jesus was known for running to the place and the point of pain for those that were disadvantaged, those that were being taken advantage of, those that were hurting, those that were in need, especially those who were being stiff-armed in culture and society and by others just because, I don't know, maybe they looked different. Or maybe they were different. Or maybe they thought differently. Whoever the disadvantaged people were, people in crisis, people in need, Jesus found a way to stand for them. In fact, just go with me on this. If you were to study Jesus' ministry, here's what you would find. If you were to follow Jesus around and, and make signs, and this is just hypothetical, I'm not sure anybody did this, but if you were to make signs representing what Jesus was all about, as Jesus went around from town to town and village to village, ministering to people and, and addressing people's pain, you would notice that he went way out of his way to elevate the status of a group of people whom Jewish people did not like, a group of people called the Samaritans. How he went way out of his way one day to go into Samaria, places where Jewish people didn't go. Jesus was Jewish. And he sat down at a well, talked to a Jewish, I mean a Samaritan woman, as a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan, that's bad enough, but a Samaritan woman, what? Back then, people were looking, they were talking and whispering. If you were to watch how Jesus treated Samaritans and listen to his teachings, like when he taught about the good Samaritan. If you kind of summed up what Jesus was saying about the Samaritans, you probably or could have made a sign and held it up following Jesus that Samaritan lives matter. Not that Jewish lives don't matter, but Jesus made a point. Samaritans matter. If you listen to what Jesus taught, another sign you would found, you found yourself probably wanting to make is that women matter. Women's lives matter because in a society where women were treated as property, where women were treated no better than a slave in many instances, just because they were female. Jesus elevated the role of women, elevated the value of women, elevated the dignity of women to the same level as men. That was revolutionary back then. You would have made a sign following Jesus. Women matter. Women's lives matter. You would have heard Jesus teach to children and to the parents of children. And back then, children, very much like women, were kind of pushed to the side. They just kind of took up space. And you only called for them when you needed them. And Jesus said, I want the little children to come to me. Welcome the little children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Then you would have made a sign that said, children's lives matter. Because that's what Jesus was about. Fast forward, it wasn't just Jesus. His followers in the first century, his Jewish followers in the first century argued amongst themselves who the good news of Jesus 
that what the gospel was about and who the gospel and who the good news of Jesus was for. Was it just for the Jewish community? Was it just for those in, in Jesus' neighborhood and those who closely followed him? Or was it for a broader audience? No, they made it very clear that the gospel of Jesus Christ was not just for the Jews. Jesus came for the world. He came for the Gentiles too. And so if you were to make a sign describing what was happening in the first church in the first century, you would have been holding up a sign that said Gentile lives matter. And that was revolutionary in the religious world. See, we know what this is like as a country, don't we? Just go back a few decades to the 1940s. And America joined with the allied forces in the world to stand up against Nazi Germany in no uncertain terms to hold up a sign, Jewish people matter. Jewish lives matter. We didn't put it in those terms back then. But when we stood against the mistreatment and what Hitler was doing, that's what we were saying. Just go back to the 80s. Go back to the 1980s. You remember how the world came together for the famine in Ethiopia. Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember how we raised so much money? All over the world, the focus was on what was happening in that part of Africa, in Ethiopia. There were famines in other parts of the world, but that drew our attention because that was the point of greatest pain, the point of need. And there was farm aid, and there was live aid, and we even wrote a song, and we came together, We Are the World. Do you remember? Yeah. That was the statement. If you would have held up a sign about what that was about, the sign would have said, Ethiopian lives matter, and they're hungry, so we're going to feed them. So when I see this, black lives matter, then I recognize that is where our point of pain currently is. Now, yes, there are other points of pain, but right now where we are as a country, in our cities, in our community, we need to make this clear. Black lives matter. But I, I want to do something. I want to challenge the word matter just for a second. Okay? I want you to think about this. Maybe you haven't thought about this, but you need to think about it. To say that black lives matter, isn't that the minimum? To say that anybody's life, white, black, red, brown, yellow, doesn't matter. To say that anybody's life just matters, I mean, isn't that like the bare minimum of human decency? Yeah, if you were to say to someone you care about, well, you matter. No. Black lives more than matter. Black lives, like all lives, are precious, are priceless, have great worth and value because they're created in the image of God as we all are. So to say that black lives matter is not nearly enough. Hey, far more than just matter. In fact, Jesus called us to more than matter. Jesus called us to something far greater than matter. Jesus called us to love. Matthew records Jesus saying it. One of the many ways he said it, he said it like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Treat them the way you would want to be treated. Love your neighbors yourself. Now, in this context, the big discussion was, you know, who's my neighbor and all of that. What we come to find out, if you keep reading, that your neighbor is 
the person who is unlike you. Yeah. Your neighbor is the person whom you don't like sometimes. Whom doesn't like you all the time. Yeah. And in order to love your neighbor, do you know you have to understand your neighbor? In order for us to love each other, as we often say we do, we need to listen to each other and care about what's happening to each other. And with that in mind, I want to take you another place that kind of brings us back to the love of Jesus, and I'll show you. In the first century, Paul challenged a group of Christians with this, and it is just as significant and important to us today, means just as much, just as applicable to us today as it was to them back then. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens, which means if my brother, my sister of any skin color has a burden, I should carry it with them. If something's going on in your life, that should matter to me. I should care about that. If you're facing a pain or a problem, that should be significant to me. I should find a way to get my shoulder up underneath that burden you're facing and carry it with you and share the load with you. And when we do that, check this out, we fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what's that about? What's the law of Christ? I'm so glad you asked. The law of Christ refers back to something John recorded Jesus saying towards the end of his earthly ministry. When Jesus gave his disciples the new command, his new commandment, which kind of sums up everything. Jesus said, boys, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. He didn't just tell them to love. He qualified it. He explained it. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And that is called the new commandment. Jesus's new command. That is the law of Christ. So when Paul writes, carry each other's burdens, and when you do that, you will fulfill the law of Christ. He's saying when you carry each other's burdens, you are loving each other the way Jesus has loved you. Because we know this. Jesus carried our burdens all the way to a Roman cross when he gave his life for us. That's good news. And that's how we are to live with each other. Now, I hear people say this uh, quite frequently and, and recently, actually. Well, don't get me wrong. I love everybody now. I love everybody. This Black Lives Matter, I don't know about that. But I love everybody. I love everybody. Well, that's great. I'm glad you love everybody. But if you love everybody, regardless of what color their skin is, and here's what you should do. Love them the way Jesus has loved you. Stand for them. That's what it means to carry their burdens. Stand with them. That's what it means to carry their burdens. And stand against whatever is threatening them, because that's what love does. As we carry each other's burdens. Now see, we stand in the place of Jesus. Whether you realize it or not, if you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a follower of Christ, we stand in the place of Jesus. In this world. In this community. In this church. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus was filled with compassion towards people who are hurting. 
Jesus wept with his brothers and sisters who were in pain. We stand in the place of Jesus with our black brothers and sisters because that's what it means to be human. Don't politicize this. This is a people thing. We stand with each other because that's what it means to be human. And that's what it means to love as we have been loved. This is not about taking a side on the right or on the left. This is not about taking a side. But I'll say this. If you're going to take a side, choose the side with those who are hurting. If you're going to side with someone, side with those who are hurting. Because that's what Jesus did. And I I get it. This is very messy. I understand this is messy and it's layered and it's hard. But here's the deal. We were not called to neat, nice, and easy. So yeah, we can expect the things that matter most to often be the most challenging. Now, I've said a lot, and I understand that this doesn't solve, really, it doesn't solve not just everything, it probably doesn't solve anything nationally. But my hope is that it will potentially solve something personally. Something in you, something in me. It'll it'll settle this issue of how should we respond to this Black Lives Matter. I I think we should embrace it. I think we should stand with our black brothers and sisters. And listen, if you find yourself arguing with me mentally or maybe out loud verbally, maybe you're causing a big old scene where you're sitting. If you find yourself getting all defensive, what about this and what about that? And have you seen and have you heard? I just want to ask you to stop a second and check your heart. Because love rarely, rarely, rarely expresses itself defensively like that. Check your attitude. Are you loving as you have been loved? Are you carrying the burden? Are you meeting your brothers and sisters of a different skin color at the point of their pain? Because this is our point of pain. And and in my opinion, this crisis is a lot bigger and more serious than the recent COVID-19 crisis that we faced. This is a lot bigger deal than a virus. And I'm not diminishing um, that in any way. If anything, I'm elevating just what a big deal this is. So let me say it very clearly. Black lives certainly do matter. And we should be and we must be burdened with their burden and carry it with them, our brothers and sisters. Because at the very minimum is human decency. And yet, truly, it is the law of love that Jesus has given us to live out. Now, I want to do something else that's different now. I want to invite a friend of mine to the stage to join me for a little bit of a conversation because again um, I'm white uh, predominantly white church and we do have some families in our church of color and I, I asked Katina Katina could you come out here and join me Katina Boyd who has been thank you for joining us who has been a part of our church for gosh a long time and grabbed your mic there I think probably like 15, 16 years. 
um, her family has been a part of our church. And um, it's been great just to know you through the years and, yeah. and get to um, journey with you through the years. And I was thinking about sharing this, and we started talking about it would be great to have a conversation. Yeah. Um, a conversation with someone who's going to experience this differently, especially differently than, than white people would experience it. Someone from our own church. And when Katina's name came up, I was like, man, she's going to be great to help us get some perspective on this. So, Katina, thank you for joining us um, and for being willing to, to have, you know, an uncomfortable conversation. I appreciate this more than you know, and I know we're all going to grow and be better for this conversation. This is the kind of thing we need to do Absolutely. more of. I, in order for us to love each other, yeah. we have to understand each other yes. and listen to each other. Yes. So, I want to start with a question and... And we'll, add, we'll, we'll go a few different places with this. But I want to begin just by asking you, as a black woman, as a black mom, as a black wife, what are your impressions of Black Lives Matter? Bam, just start right away. Right? Yeah, just, just jump in. Just jump um, in. I would say absolutely. I feel as though Black Lives Matter is a movement. It's a campaign towards stopping or going against systemic racism and violence against black people. I feel as though Black Lives Matter is a call to action because black lives are in danger. It in no way is about superiority or inferiority. It's not about that black lives matter more than anyone else. And really, I had to research this for myself because there's so much out there. I even went to their website and read, okay, what's our about us? And nowhere in any of the literature, even from them, is that what it's about. So it's about a call to action and awareness about black lives. Yeah, because a lot of people, a lot of people just assume, especially recently, when they see this, yes. they think looting. Yes. They think rioting. Yes. They think violence. Yes. They think violent protesting. And, and it's not that. Not at all. Two completely different things. Yeah. Just completely. because you see something happen and see as someone holding a sign up yes. right behind it does not mean that that's what that's all about. Correct. Right? Yes. Um, yes. And I, I think I, I shared this with you. If I didn't, I, I meant to. So I'm going to share it with you now that I think applies to this is that um, someone recently said, you can't, you can't, you can't align yourself with Black Lives Matter because of all of, you know, that stands for and all all the negative things that have happened under that banner and that's just not it's just not true it's just the actions of a few do not represent the whole and immediately I thought of wait we call ourselves Christians right mm -hmm. let's think of the horrible things that have been done throughout history under that banner yes the people who have been killed and murdered yes. even under that name and yet we still call ourselves Christians. So to say, you know, Black Lives Matter, oh, 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 it's all about violence. That is an uneducated response, actually. Yes, and I would challenge people to research it. Yeah. Go to their website and actually read it. Yeah, yeah. How, how, is this, how has this, Katina, affected your family personally? Because this is not just an issue, right? Right, right. This, this is people. These are people's lives. Yes. And, and, when you look at your skin and you're like, wait, that's me. <laughs> that's different, right? 
Yeah, it's me. And as a mom, it's my babies. And so that is like a whole different, you know, all kinds of mama bear coming out when you're talking about my babies. But for me, I am married to an African-American male who is also a police officer. So I I have a very uh, unique experience to this entire thing. And we are a blended family. We have three uh, young adult children, 20, 18, and 16. And this week, I, in these past couple of weeks, have shed a lot of tears in my own home. And then figuring out yelling at the TV, you know, watching in, in disgust, and then figuring out how do I help my children navigate their anger How do I help my husband navigate his feelings about this? I mean, literally, one of those Mondays, I was like, can you call in sick? (laughs) And as he always does, he's like, no, I can't. I got to go. And it's prompted us to have several conversations, very difficult conversations, where we talked about our own experiences with racism personally. That's not something that we sit around and talk about at the dinner table all the time, but each of us were able to share and then talk about, well, how do we remain safe? If you're a protester, how, how do you do that safely? And then turn to my, my husband and say, okay, well, how do you remain safe? So we've had conversations around the gamut. I think what has been the best is that through those conversations, we began to focus on, okay, so what do we need to do? Everyone is called to something individually. We're not all called to the same thing. So what am I called to do as a mom, as a healthcare professional? What am I kids called to do? Those, our son is already out in the workplace. My daughter's getting ready to go to college. We've got another child that's in high school. Of course, my, my husband is a police officer. What are we each called to do? And I will have to steal something. I saw Dr. Tony Evans on Instagram speaking. He was sitting in his, um, Easy Chair, speaking to his grandsons about his own experiences uh, with the police and just growing up as an African-American male into adulthood. And one of the things that he said at the end, I have made a mantra for our family, is that we will be focused on the windshield instead of the rearview mirror. Now, when you're driving, you have to be cognizant of the rearview mirror. It's very Uh, not a good thing if you're driving, if you never pay attention to the rearview mirror. So I am saying we're going to keep those things that have happened in the past as lessons, okay, and keeping us to what we need to do so that what steps do we need to take for the future so that we're cognizant, we know about what's happened, but that to stay focused on what's ahead because God is in our future, God is where he's really working on those things that we hope for. And so it's been an excellent way to push the kids to say, yes, you should speak out. You should take a stand, but stay focused on the future. Mm, that's so good. I want to come back to that. But when, when you shared that your husband's a police officer, mm-hmm. I mean, as a police family, yes, the first responder family, yes. especially of the police department, you're processing this on two different layers. You're Absolutely. processing this personally yes. as a black family. Yes. And now... He goes to work and and having, I have a member of our family that used to be in the police department as well. So knowing as a family member, knowing what they're walking into, especially when things are tense. Yes. Oh my goodness. I mean, that that must have been a a very layered 
stressful situation? Very layered. It's been a tough couple of weeks. Mm. Just emotions all over the place from anger about what's going on to fear to, um, you know, every day when he puts on the the whole gamut. It's like a whole process to the yeah. uniform. I didn't know this before we got married, but, you know, he's putting on all the stuff. And, you know, when he puts on that bulletproof vest, it kind of really mm. um, seals the deal that is serious out here. And then when I look at my children yeah. who, you know, want to be activists and want to speak out and want to speak out for, for what's right, you know, I feel the same way about them. Gosh, I want you to be safe too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's get to the rearview mirror thing. I love that okay. because, see, a lot of people say, well, I, yeah, there's always a few outliers in society. Mm -hmm. There's always someone that says something they shouldn't say or, you know, there's maybe a racist here and there. But as a whole, racism is in the past. That mm -hmm. racism is really not our problem now. Mm -hmm. You know, and personally, and, and I don't know how you feel about this, but personally, I feel like we pretend as though racism isn't in our past. I feel like, <laughs> I, I just feel like we act like it didn't happen. Correct. That and how we treat, you know, racism and slavery with the black community and, and then what we did to the Native Americans and taking their land and all that. I feel like those are two things, like dark sins that, and this is just me, this is my opinion, it's free. <laughs> Um, but I think those are things we just don't talk about that right. we should talk about. Right. But a lot of people are saying with this, now that's in our past. It's in our past. But this is not real now. It's not happening now. Now, I think it's so important to highlight what you said is that we, we acknowledge yes. the, what's behind us. Mm -hmm. We have to acknowledge as we look forward in through the windshield. We have to acknowledge what's in the rearview mirror. Even though you don't focus on it, Absolutely. you have to acknowledge it. Can you speak to that? Personally? Yeah, uh, when we were having one of those conversations, um, my mom actually shared a story with all of us that I'd never heard before. And she said, right in Winston-Salem, when she, back in the day when she wanted to go to the movies, that she didn't go to the movies with white people. They only did, everything she did was black and white until the movie The Ten Commandments came out. And so when the movie The Ten Commandments came out, the Carolina Theater, which is now the Stevens Center, I don't know that they had anything to do with each other, but that's the Winston history, um, said that, okay, black people could come to the movie as well. So they all bought tickets, but you could not come through the front door. And they were made to walk up the back of the fire escape, which was like three or four levels. Elderly people, it didn't matter. You had to walk all the way up the fire, the fire escape and sit in the top floor. And then after the movie was over, they had to wait until all the white people were gone before they were able to leave. Now, my mother is still living. So she is living and breathing sassy, if you know her. <laughs> she is still with us. Um, she just turned 70, but she's still here. And so, you know, yes, that is something that happened before, but it wasn't 400 years ago. It wasn't 200 years ago. It wasn't even 100 years ago. She's still here. And so it was interesting for her to share that with us. Um, of course, that hasn't been my kids' experience. That hasn't been my experience. But we all were able to share things that have happened in our lifetimes. Yeah. Even my husband, who's a police officer, oh, has I had some experiences. what he sees and experiences. Yeah. But the point is, it's not so far in the past no. that it doesn't still have its tentacles attached yes. to today's world. Absolutely. And, and it still is very much a part. It looks a little different. 
Correct. Right? So nobody's yes. being made, hopefully, to walk up a fire escape. And right. I talked to an individual this week who's a, a black friend of mine whose dad remembers having to use the black-only water fountain. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't have that experience. But and thankfully, it doesn't look like that anymore. Right. But it's still something that we deal with. Yeah. And for people just to say, oh, that's agenda, you're stirring it up. No, we're just putting a spotlight on what's there. Right. Not stirring anything up. Exactly. And that's so, right. okay, let's transition just a little bit. Okay. Um, what do you think people like me need to know? Because I'm white. What do you <laughs> no, think me and us, us white folk, what, what do we need to know from your perspective about Black Lives Matter and, and about what all this is really about? I think one of the things which you've really spoken to is that racism exists and that it is part of our history, but it still is existing today. And if someone tells you a story about their personal experience, try not to argue back at them mm. or dismiss them or minimize, but accept it as their truth. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of the response that people are, are seeing right now is cumulative. It's not just from these last couple of events. It is from a years, years and years of racial injustice um, in our country, but also in the world. And so I think where people feel like this is new um, in terms of people's response, it's important to understand that, yes, racism does exist, and it has been around for a long time. I would also say that sometimes if that's difficult, one of the things to do is would be to gain some perspective, and that's what we're doing right now. When you have a conversation with someone who's had an experience that you haven't had, it helps you to gain a little perspective if you're able to just listen and not jump in and disqualify, but actually able to listen and, and not sit in the seat of judgment. I think also uh, research. Mm -hmm. Don't take anybody else's word for it. It is out there. There is so much history that is not taught in our schools about things that really did occur. And I think, you know, having a conversation and gaining some uh, perspective through research would be a good thing. And I think the thing that I would say the most is please stop saying I don't see color. Because if you don't see color, you don't see me. Mm. It's who I am. Mm. It's part of me. It's the way God created me. And I think it's a fallacy when we say, I don't see color. Because if I went missing and somebody asked you to do a missing persons report, you're not going to say, well, she's got brown hair and brown eyes and she's about 5'3". <laughs> you may say that later, but the very first thing you're going to say is, she's a black female. She's an African-American female. And then you'll go into, she's got brown hair, brown eyes, 5'3". So I think it is a fallacy to say, oh, I don't see color, because you do. So see it and embrace it. Yeah. So, okay. So the whole tenet of colorblind, yes. we should be colorblind, or right. that God is colorblind, that, that's just false. Correct. He created all these colors. He, on purpose. Right. <laughs> on purpose. Yeah. And so I, and that kind of goes back to what I was saying, you know, when I shared before the interview, my prayer is that churches would become accurate reflections. I mean, yes. I've heard it said many times that Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours. Right. I mean, you know, 11 o'clock church going hour on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated times in our society still. And I see that. 
Um, and I, I long for us to get to a place where we celebrate color. Yes. Right? Because yes. how God created us, a kaleidoscope of beautiful skin tones and cultures. Right. And so I, I, I think that's so wise for you to point that out because I've, you know, growing up in a white culture, yeah. we're told that that's the goal is to be colorblind. Right. I don't, I don't see black. I don't see white. That's a great point. It's a great point. And so anything else you feel like white people need to know? I think, too, one of the things, if there's a conversation that's going on about racism, most of the time it's not about you personally. And I think people, as soon as it comes up, they, they get, oh, that's not me. I'm not a racist, blah, blah, blah. And that, that's not the point of the conversation. I think there are, for sure, racist people. But racism itself is in systems. It's in judicial systems. It's in our healthcare. It's in uh, our education system. It's in housing. It's in our financial systems. Racism is in systems. And when we get so focused on individuals, then we never address the system. Mm. That that is a tough pill to swallow for for white, the white community yes. for a lot of times. I mean, just to be honest, that's just hard for a lot of white people to hear because they do feel threatened. As soon as you yes. bring it up, like, wait a second, I'm not. What do you mean? Right. I'm not. You know, I love everybody. And blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. This is bigger than just you. Yes. Uh, I heard it described um, a lot of conversation about white privilege. And uh, <laughs> so I bring it up. The white guy, I'll bring it up. Um, I heard it described this week. White privilege does not mean that a white person's life is not hard, too. But just, it's not harder because of the color of their skin. Right. And there's the, that's the difference. That's the difference. That's, well, there, that's not the only difference, but right. that's one of the one, main it's differences. It's a good way to describe it, yes. Right. And so I listen to you saying it's in the system. It's in the system. But it's not in the system to me. Not, not in this part of the country because I'm white. Right. And so to understand that and to be and to allow ourselves to admit that that's there. Yes. And if we don't admit that it's there, we'll never change it. Right. And not to be personally offended. Right. Um, to be offended at the evil hmm. and then go after it. But we often stop short of disagreeing and taking it personal, you know, if, if somebody says something and you personal, well, that's, that's, that's not true. And then we never deal with the system. Hmm. Okay, one more question. Okay. This is so good. This is so good. Okay. This, the setting that we're doing this in yes. is in church here at the Summit Church. And so we are, like I said, a predominantly white church. And my prayer is we become more and more diverse. Yeah. But as a predominantly white church, what would you say to us as a white church that you're a part of. You've been a part of for yeah, 15, 16 yeah. years. Yeah, I was really consistent for 15 or 16 years. In the last couple of years, not so much. But I would say, um, first, thank you. I was absolutely blown away to just hear the things that you said. I'm over here trying not to like yell out, hallelujah, amen. <laughs> um, so first, I would like oh, to... Oh, that's see. good every now and then. You okay, okay. I can bring it on. Um, I would say to uh, specifically the Summit Church, first of all, thank you. Thank you for having the conversation. Thank you for not remaining silent. It speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. So that's the first thing. The second thing, I just want to piggyback on something that you uh, touched on in, in the sermon. And I would just say, please don't allow the problem of racism 
to be blurred because you don't appreciate, understand, or agree with some people's response to what's going on. Because there are people who are very angry. There are people who are very hurt, exhausted, and tired. And their response to what's going on may not match yours. But as the church, I think the call is to offer grace and to stay out of the seat of judgment and to really try to empathize even if you don't agree with the action. You can empathize with a person. You can empathize with their hurt and still not agree with their method of handling it. Um, I read on a website called Build the Bridge, which is about uh, communities of faith and coming together over racial inequality, and they talked about being a balm, B-A-L-M, versus being a battering ram. Hmm. And it was a very interesting analogy because as a church, if we, even as people, individuals, if we are bombs to others, a balm, B-A-L-M, is like an ointment and it heals and it soothes a wound. A battering ram smashes. It tears everything down. It smashes everything in its, in its wake. And we each have a choice. Will we be a balm? Will we be a place where hurting people can come even if we don't agree with their methods, but they can have a safe place? Are we going to be our healing or are we going to smash and tear down? And I think we have a lot of smashing and tearing down right now in our world. And as a church, we're being called to do something else. So good. And that's the heart of Jesus. Yes. Finding the heart of Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Yes. As come to me and I will give you rest. rest. Amen. I mean, that that's who and. When Jesus got hot under the collar, and he yeah. did a few times, yes. it was in response to people who were taking advantage of others and yes. people who didn't feel like that they could be taught anything and that they knew it all and were actually that battering ram of a religious system that just leaves a wake of destruction. And so what you're saying, man, I should probably have just gotten up and let you sit over here. And we'll let you bring <laughs> no, the no. next sermon. That, no, no, no. I don't preach right there. A bomb. Um, and so that that's very needed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I this is this is needed. This is needed. Yes. And um, I would encourage you to listen and you may need to go back and listen again. Uh, I would encourage you to send this to your friends, uh, family members, those of you that having difficult conversations, maybe this will help you understand a little bit more about what this is really all yeah. about. Um, Katina, I want to ask you to do something, if you don't mind, as we wrap up. Could you pray for us? Absolutely. Pray for us. Pray for our country. Pray for our community. Pray for our church. Yeah. Pray for our families. Okay. Um, that God would help us represent the heart of Jesus in Amen. this. Yes, I will. Precious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. I cannot believe that I am here just because I said, God, show me what it is that you want me to do. And God, I thank you so much for the Summit Church, for churches everywhere who are having these conversations, Father God, who are sitting down and saying, God, show us the way. God, I pray right now for the women, men, and children who are hearing me right now, that they feel your love Mm -hmm. and are pushed Mm -hmm. and cajoled towards being 
a bomb, Father God, mm -hmm. for being a person and, and, and a church that can offer grace to others, Father God. God, I pray right now and know that you are going to do an amazing work. We look forward to it, Father God. I pray that you give people a hope that all is not lost because we already know that you've already won. So God, we thank you right now in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.